All right, everyone, welcome back to Let's Unpack That. Uh, and this is our interview segment of the episode. Super excited for today's guest. Um, this has been not necessarily a long time in the making, but quite a few months in the making, I feel like. He's a professional actor, country music singer, songwriter, and ICF certified life coach. He's also the host of the Gay Life Coach podcast, Brian Falduto. Welcome to Let's Unpack That. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Paul, for having me here. Did... I do the intro justice because I took it straight from the website. Yeah, absolutely. You did. I really loved the the mistakes along the way too because it just yeah. showed that you're human like the rest of us, you know? Uh, like the most human. As we were talking before we started recording, no idea how I got here. Human full of flaws. Don't understand how I have this platform. Trying to figure out what to do with it. And I think that this particular interview segment, I think is going to be one of the more personal ones that I've done. Mm -hmm. Um and I think like, we'll talk about that. Um, full disclosure, like Brian and I said, going into this, we were just going to have a casual conversation. And I just, as I was like on your website, on your Instagram, like digging into things, I was like, I have so many things to ask. So I'm so happy you're here. And I'm so happy that we could make this work. So. I'm happy too. And now I'm excited because I feel like I've been lied to. I was told it would be a casual conversation, people. I'm just discovering with all of you that there are other motives here. Not like other motives, but like if you have any interest in like learning about my like deep rooted, internalized and externalized homophobia, let's mm. let's talk about it. Let's jump in. Um, That's I, my specialty. Let's do it. Right. Like I, So I pulled this quote from your website and it stuck out to me for a variety of ways and I will explain them after I read them, but I want to give the quote justice because I thought that it was beautifully written and I think really sums up a, a, a big part of my queer experience. Um, you said, for most of my life, I didn't think happiness was an option for me. I now operate from a place of general contentment nearly every day, but don't just take it from me. It's been psychologically and neurologically proven that we have the ability to change the story we are telling ourselves. Once I truly accepted the fact that I am worthy of presenting my authentic self to the world, my life changed. And I just want to know a little bit about that journey and what got you there. And I know I'm going to have follow-up questions. So not to just like jump right in with so much of a personal statement that you made, but it, it just resonated me with, with me for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I mean, I was, I haven't looked at my own website in a hot minute and I was listening to it and I was like, uh, yeah, because it did, re it resonated with me. I do remember I did spend a long time thinking that happiness wasn't an option for me in that I kind of always felt like my life was like a game of survivor. Like I had to just constantly make the next move to like be in the proper alliance or not get voted off or like not upset someone or just make it to the next day, right? And not get voted off the island. That's kind of just how I operated. It was, who's in this room? How do I have to behave in order to be perceived properly by the people in this room? Um, and there was just no sense of self, right? So all of my validation came from either things I was doing. You know, I was a child actor, so I had a lot of like initial, I would say false interpretations of what validation is and what success is. So I think, um, yeah, there was just this like, just this like, uh, a lack of a clarity around, um, around autonomy over my happiness, if you could say. And so, um, yeah, eventually I came out of the closet, right? And then, but I think what's, what's funny is people don't think that when you, people think that when you come out of the closet, you're suddenly like 
proud, right? Um, but that's not like the case at all, right? So I spent 16 years sort of denying who I was and like hating myself and always just trying to like be what other people needed me to be. Um, and you don't, you don't get to flip a switch on that kind of stuff, right? So you actually then just flip a switch where you're um, identifying as a gay man, but you've never been a gay man and you don't know what that is. And so you just kind of jump into this massive world of, and the community associated with it. And um, those years were actually a lot more sadder for me sometimes those first years than some of the years where I was in the closet because I was so lost. And now I had none of the safety nets that I had built around myself to lean on, you know, all these, all these um, behaviors and habits and mannerisms that had gotten me by for so many years I kind of like threw those away when I was like actually I'm gonna be who I am but I don't know who that is so it was it was just uh it was a really stressful time I did a lot of like I did the whole toxic relationship thing I I dived into the scene trying to like get people to accept me I think this is very typical of the gay experience um at least of my generation and um and I hit rock bottom early enough and often enough that I started to be like, what am I doing wrong? Here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why am I, why am I crying myself to sleep this many nights? You know, there's gotta be a different way. Um, and yeah. And then I, I started to open the doors that allowed me to be um, a little bit more of myself, which is a its whole own journey. So maybe I should pause there and just give you a moment to reflect on, on the trauma first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think how how many of us, queer or not, carry trauma, right? Like, I I do think um, not to quantify or rank trauma. I just think that it's it's important for us as queer people to talk about trauma related to our queerness because yeah. it is kind of all. I mean, for me, um, all consuming, um, and it was like for a very long time, and even there's still where I go through like weeks where it still is because. I don't know, I find, like, I talk to a lot of my straight friends about this, too, to see what their experience is, you know, when we're talking about kind of, like, the straight experience of, you know, feeling pressure to act a certain way, or being pulled in a certain way, or I'm supposed to grow up, I'm supposed to buy a house, I'm supposed to have a kid, and I'm supposed to do this, and I'm like, yeah, can I just, like, throw a wrench in there? Like, imagine if you couldn't do any of those things, mm-hmm. and and again, it's it's not to rank my trauma versus theirs, it's just, like, that's what I grew up pretending that I wanted to. That's what I grew up pretending that I kind of thought was like my path, I guess, of like, even if I was gay, as I was admitting it to myself, I was like, well, that doesn't matter. I'm still gonna hide that part of me. I'm still gonna marry a woman. I'm still gonna have kids. I'm still gonna, you know, live right near my parents and like go to the same church and same Catholic school that I went to. My kids will go there as well. Like, and and like just that sort of like false, uh, and I'll just be unhappy, you know? Right, and I'll just be unhappy. This like this like false, not even persona that you're creating, this false life that you're living is like pretty intense and also scary. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm curious about what that was like for you in the sense that like, you, you said, I think 16 that you were pretending. I think I was like 18, 19, so similar, similar in age. I'm curious though, because you, as a child actor, you you sort of played a version of a queer role. Like what mm-hmm. was that like of playing sort of this queer character in a movie that many people know, um, School of Rock? Uh, like what was that like, but also not being fully out to yourself or out publicly in that way? Yeah, I think um, 
I think that it's it's a cool illustration of what happens, you know, now that I'm able to look at it reflectively and somewhat objectively. I do think that um, you everyone saw me on screen, right? And everyone loves that movie. So everyone got to see this authentic little sassy, effeminate, doesn't care what people think, boy. And that was me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's The reason I got cast in that role is because I walked into the audition room and I sang a boy soprano rendition of Send in the Clowns. And they said we have to do something with this. Amazing. Um, like, you know, and like, and I didn't care. I was like, this is, this is what you'll, you'll get. Um, and, you know, the School of Rock is kind of like this, like curtain of, that was me at my most authentic. They put it on screen, a bunch of people related to it, but those people were so, were so, um, at, at war with themselves that they weren't going to speak up and be like, Oh, your role resonated with me. Instead, all I heard was from the boys in my class who thought that um, my character was gay and that being gay was bad. And it was something to be ashamed of. Whereas this was supposed to be the successful thing that I was supposed to be celebrating. You know, I got to be in a movie in middle school. Not everyone gets to be in a movie in middle school. It was supposed to be an exciting thing. Um, So it was, it was this, it was this beautiful display of authenticity and then people wanted to put it in a box and label it and ridicule it because it didn't make sense to like the way things were for them right so it's like uh and the reason I stress that is just because um yeah I do think it was sort of difficult to find footing after after that um and I did in order to combat that, the only thing I knew to do was to just try and blend in and like fit in, which is a little sad if you think about it, because the reason I got cast is for standing out. So I, you know, I did something and and I had this like special quality to me and I was like, oh, that needs to be repressed. And so at a very young age, I learned that anything special about me needed to be like confined to fit the, the norm, you know? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, so I have a million things to say. I, 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 like, I resonate with that so much. And I wonder, you know, we like, there, there's kind of, you know, so many elements and memes and, and articles, but about, you know, uh, queer people as perfectionists and queer people as performers and queer people finding ways to be authentic and, and repressing it in some way. Um, but I don't often have that conversation with other queer people, specifically with other um you know, white gay men. So it's refreshing um, to, uh, or, 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 or um, I'm sorry, I, I know you use he, they pronouns. So I want to be respectful of that too. Um, if you, if you don't identify as a man, I apologize for that. Um, I do. And I don't, I think that yeah. the self is a vast continent and you can, you can find your place anywhere on the map as far as referring to me. Cool. I love that. Um, but anyway, what I was saying uh, was around that sort of like the perfectionism and the performance, like that, I have some of those similar moments like growing up. I, you know, where I felt most at home, like with me was uh, when I was on the debate stage, like, you know, and I was in a suit and in a tie and I was commanding a courtroom, like, you know, like cross-examining witnesses, not as a, you know, actual attorney, but as a, you know, a high schooler or middle schooler playing a role. And there was something about like, I could stand up there, I could have a little bit of sass, I could have a little bit of humor and I could have like, this sort of confident person that existed. But then then after the, the trial was over, after the debate was over, it was like that person just kind of 
mm-hmm. like vanished. And I went back to being like, oh, I play sports. I run cross country. I swim. And I'm like this. I was not a jock, but in my mind, that was what I needed to pretend to be to sort of get by, especially in a, in a Catholic school. I felt like that was almost mandated. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious a little bit about too, your, your journey of coming from that sort of place where you're, this is me, I am authentic, then I'm repressing to now like helping other men as a life coach. Like that's a huge transition to make, um, you know, for anybody that's, that's three lives you're living now. It's, it's, it's hiding yourself, coming to terms with yourself and then helping other people do Mm. the same. I'm so curious about that journey. Well, just quickly, as you were sharing what you, your experience with debate club, what a, what a mix of messages that you're getting, you know, like um, that, like in one aspect, some part of you is acceptable and like praised. And then in other aspects, it's like not, you know, I remember I really relating to that because I, I did have this like boy soprano voice when I was younger and everyone was like, we love when you get up on stage and do your thing. And then it wasn't appropriate for me to do my thing anywhere else, you know? So it was a very Mm -hmm. weird um, thing. Um, To answer your other question. Yeah. How did, I told you there was a lot of like, you know, really sad nights. And um, uh, I kept getting into the same situation, to be honest. I kept getting into situations where um, it was a guy usually that I was into. And, um, but like situations that only with, someone with a complete lack of respect for themselves would walk into knowing what they know about the guy and about the situation. So I started to just put the pieces together that it wasn't really these guys that was the issue. It was me not really knowing like that I'm worthy of being treated respectfully. And I think that that was very self-sabotaging behavior of on my part because I didn't see myself with any respect. And so I wanted to enter scenarios that sort of um, recreated what I already thought of myself in my mind so that I can remain in this, you know, place that my ego had sort of like identified me as. Um, and then what sort of happened was I enrolled in a brand new acting studio. I was in LA at the time and it's called Anthony Mindel's Actors Workshop. And it's all about their studio is all about bringing who you are to the craft, right? Um, you can show up in a scene and you can read the text completely as yourself. And that will be interesting enough because you are a person who has lived a full life and people want to watch your interpretation of the story. Um, And it sounds like a great idea, right? But I Mm -hmm. had no idea who I was because I had spent so long just living for the validation of other people. And so they like handed me a script and they were like, just do it as you. And I was like, who, who is that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what point uh, of reference do I need to go to in my little queer brain? Like, who do yeah. I need to imitate? Like, yeah, like <laughs> we spend so much, I spend so much time imitating people because like, even now mm-hmm. sometimes, because like, I'm still forming who I am, you know, even right. at 29, right? It's yeah. Like- yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a continual uncovering, but um this studio was really tremendously helpful in taking those first steps of like, this is an emotion that you're experiencing, Brian. This isn't necessarily like something that's being thrust upon. You are not a victim in this situation. This is like, this is your own internal experience and you get to witness this and, and experience this. Um, and so it was this cool sort of like breakthrough moment with the studio combined with, you know, I picked up some health, some self-help books. Um, also 
at the same time, I also worked for a country music radio station and I was finding myself in a lot of breakup songs, which are usually country songs. <laughs> right, and, um, right. And so music was also an outlet for me where I was sort of finding a voice for the first time. And I decided to try writing some songs and, and maybe like letting some of these emotions out authentically via music, which proved to be a vehicle for expressing myself like none other because music has a way of disguising all these things you would never actually say to someone, but you could put them into a song. And so it was just this like culmination of experiences that sort of was like, oh, I, I have more power here than I, than I think I've ever like given myself. You know, no one is coming to save me from the responsibility of building respect for myself. That's something I have to do for myself. And so it was, um, and so I just started on this like long journey of like what that work looks like. And it is a long journey and it is never ending. And I'm not nearly done. Um, I was going to ask, I was going to ask, you know, like just because, it's always inspiring to see people who do work in, in, you know, helping people with their anxiety or helping people discover themselves, life coaching. Like that's always, you know, uh, been a, a hobby that in a career path, I would like when I have the opportunity to, to champion. And mm-hmm. I, I'm always curious, you know, to ask people who work in that profession, like, are you still working on your journey? And I think you just kind of said you are. Yeah. Oh my God. I usually start off by saying, just so everyone knows, I know nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are like, oh, why would I coach with him, right? Coaching is not about me knowing any of your answers. Your answers are your answers. Coaching is a craft. And I am very good at helping people maybe see a perspective that they haven't thought about before and getting outside of their own mind, which is a really difficult thing to do to like step outside of your own thought patterns. So, um, and so that's why coaching, I think, is a beautiful thing. Um, therapy is another option for that as well. Um, and yeah, but I'm by no, you know, I don't have anything really figured out. I have some things figured out and I'm learning wonderful things about myself every day, but it is, it is a never ending journey. Yeah. It's also like, I don't know, there's, there's parts of it that feel particularly like frustrating. Cause you can tell sometimes when you're in that rut, you can like tell when you're like, Ugh, I know I'm just learning about myself right now. It's like, but like, I, I feel like just as a queer person, I discover a new interest like every day. Like there's, um, yeah. there's a song by like Hozier and, and he says like, I, I, I forget what the song is called, but he says like, I fall in love a little more, a little bit every day with someone new. I always like change it to like something new. Cause I feel like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like for me to say like, I know what my path is. I know where I'm going. Like, but I didn't know 10 years ago I was going to have anxiety and depression. I didn't yeah. know two years ago I was going to have a podcast. I didn't know six months ago that I was going to have an Instagram following. So like for, to, like I discover new things I'm passionate about every single day. And I feel like that whether that's tied to my queerness or not, I, I feel that it is because I'm still constantly unlearning so many of those habits where I like I hid who I was mm-hmm. and I feel like so many queer people and I'm, I, I I hope some of our straight listeners too can resonate with that as well like just to kind of let yourself go a little bit or lean into some of those things that you're curious about I don't know yeah yeah because then as you sort of even discover yourself it, it kind of takes a committee to run a human there's many things that you've been disowning over the years you know there's 
Um, there's the voices that you're probably really aware of, you know, your pusher, your pleaser, your protector, all these things that are keeping you like in this box of what you're supposed to be, right? But then on the opposite side of all those are your child, your your vulnerability, your your impersonal, which is what I like to call the, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Fuck yeah. yeah. Oh, like what I like to call the fuck it voice, you know, which can honestly be a real empowerer against some of these more like um, these voices that are keeping you like locked in and the goal becomes to not necessarily this is the tricky part the goal becomes not necessarily to pervert prefer a voice right because not everyone wants to listen to the pusher all the time because you'd never rest right but the goal is to be able to hear and witness all these things inside of you and just accept that all of that is you and it's all acceptable and then it just comes a matter of choosing what you want to listen to you know what I mean Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I have therapy every Wednesday, and for you guys who don't know that it is a Wednesday, and I talked about that with my therapist today. It's like, oh wow, but it's kind of a new thing that I'm working on. I feel like. Um, but one question I kind of had for you: you mentioned like, like the singing songwriting, um, and um, how that was like something that really I think probably helped. I, I would imagine helped you along your journey a lot too. Um, you mentioned you know that you were doing that as a kid. Um, you know, uh, in the like when you were auditioning for roles and, and obviously singing on a stage where, where so many of us saw you, but also like even now kind of as an adult, like country music, singer, songwriter, songs about religion and a queer person. I'm like, what's this box? This is, this is <laughs> like, I can't even like, you know, like as the, I don't know if it's the Scorpio in me or if it's the, just the type A in me. I, I like to have a sense of like how I could describe someone in a sentence. Mm. And I don't have that ability to do it with you, but your intro was like a paragraph and a half long, you know, on my notes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, like what, <laughs> what that kind of journey was like with music or just sort of like, this arrival at music and, and expressing yourself because I, we can talk about, you know, the, the song and the video that you released, I watched it, I felt seen. So, but, you know, I'm just curious about that piece of you, I guess. Um, yeah. Um, believe me, I struggled with this. I mean, I wrote those songs. I didn't plan on sharing them with anyone, the initial ones that sort of helped me through, you know, the breakups I was going through. I didn't plan on sharing them with anyone. And then I shared them with a friend once while I was drunk. And she was like, oh my God, these are amazing. And I was like, oh my God, should I share them with more people? And she was like, yeah. And so then like I shared them with people. And then music has this beautiful <laughs> connection connectivity power right where I'm able to sing something and you're able to be like oh my god me too and suddenly I'm not alone in this experience that I've had inside of my brain and my heart that I thought for so many years only I was going through right so music kind of became my voice to connect with other people and be like oh my god do you feel this thing too um and it was like this really like freeing journey and so music just became the way that I share my story um mm. and of course so I was like I'm gonna be a singer songwriter but yeah I mean especially like three or four years ago um trying to decide even whether I was gonna like be a loud and proud voice if the music that I loved was country music um I'm really happy that I did because I do think that there's this like underground gay country music movement happening and it's actually even like leaking over into the mainstream and um yeah I think I I I think that's coincidental to me just um 
sort of making a choice to tell my story authentically. And I don't, I guess my story authentically just doesn't fit into the box that country music wants it to, which is crazy because country music is all about telling stories, right? And I feel like the LGBTQ stories of our generation are so rich and there's so much there and that I feel like they should be um, on the radio. Um, but yeah, to, to not to not sort of um, be gay and my music would be the opposite of what music gave me access to in the first place, you know? So I, I just chose to kind of keep going with it. Yeah, I, I'm glad you did. And, uh, you know, for for those of you who have not heard it, um, the, the song that I, I listened to is called uh, God Loves Me Too. Uh, yeah. And, and um, I, I watched the music video and listened to it at the same time. And um, when I, there's a lot of like, people say like, I feel seen all the time. I just said it. I just like, that was, but it's like, like the, let me read the lyrics that you wrote. <laughs> like, because here I am the fourth pew in the preacher man says, love's not a sin. That is not only my, like my exact experience growing up of um, being in a Catholic church in a Catholic school. My family was and is super involved in the church still. They, of course, I'm very lucky. They do love me, but we were sitting in that fourth pew, also the tallest people in the church. So no <laughs> one behind us could see like, but it was this sort of like statement of I'm sitting here as a kid and being like, love's not a sin, but I'm sitting over here being like, I don't love who these people are saying that I should love. And there's this point in the video where all of you, all of, I would assume all of these queer people um, mm -hmm. are standing on the altar in this church and, and then they start singing, here I am, Lord. And if you didn't grow up in a church or, or a, a, a Christian church, like, like that, that song is something you hear once a week. I feel like um, at least it's one of the ones that I could sing you now, not having been to church in yeah. a decade, you know, with the exception of funerals and weddings. Right. But like, I, so I'm just so curious about your inspiration for this song. And, and it sounds like it was probably about your own experience too, or kind of a, you writing for yourself authentically, because like that for me, I've never heard not a country music star, not a, not a, not a pop uh, music star. Like, no, I've never heard anyone tell that story that way. It feels so unique. So I'm so curious about the inspiration behind that song. <laughs> Paul, I just want to meant uh, say uh, that that was, it was really heartwarming to hear you describe it that way. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I genuinely do just try and write authentically. I, um, and so that song is just my story. Um, it's been a really weird song to market, right? Because then um, everyone, the question I get in interviews a lot is what is your faith now? Or what is your relationship to the church now? And to be honest, it's often TBD. I am on a very spiritual like growth path path and I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I feel very happy with where I am spiritually at the moment, but it's not, um, I think people are looking for that song to be like the queer Christian anthem, you know? And I'm like, by all means use it. But I'm, I mean, I, I it, you know, there's gray area there for me still, but the song is about, um, basically I was again in LA. I've had a lot of my life breakthroughs while I'm in LA. People should journey it's a wonderful land i was gonna say um, you don't live there now though yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i live in brooklyn um <laughs> uh and so yeah i was in la and i was there for a project and um it was my first time ever in la and i didn't know 
anyone in town. So I had my weekends free and I didn't know anyone. So I was like, what will I do with my weekends? And um, I had always wanted to venture back to church. I had stopped going to church in college because that was also sort of the time that I was um, learning that I was gay. And I was like, um, the church doesn't like that. Um, and so I, I had the weekends free and um one Sunday I was like, I'm going to go check out one of those LGBTQ inclusive churches I heard about. And yeah. so I did, I, I wandered over to the Hollywood United Methodist church and there was a giant pride flag hanging above the doors. And then I walked in, there was a gay couple holding hands. There was this, um, the pastor was wearing one of those, a rainbow colored pride stole. Um, it was just like gay, 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 gay. And, um, and it was just this wonderful experience. Unlike anything I ever thought I would get to experience. I grew up, going to church every single Sunday. I went to Catholic school. I went to mass what felt like seven times a day. Um, and <laughs> I know. Um, just rolled my eyes for those of you who are uh, in the audio medium, which is every single one of you. <laughs> and I never thought that I would be sitting in a, in a church pew and that I would be addressed. That was just honestly the most shocking thing that they would not only tell me how wonderfully accepted I am in that church room, but that but that I, but that they were even addressing me every Sunday. They, I went, ended up going back every Sunday. They would make it a point to let me know that all LGBTQ persons are welcome there. Um, and it was just this. I, I would go and every Sunday I would sit in the pew for like an hour and just cry. Um, and yeah. I'm pretty sure the pastor thought there was something wrong with me. But I honestly just had like this nostalgia every Sunday, and it was just this wonderful experience. And then one Sunday I was sitting there in the pew and I was like, there is a kid somewhere that doesn't know that this is going to be an option for them one day. And then I went home and I wrote that song and it took me like 20 minutes to write it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I was just like, and then it was a weird song too. Cause again, all of my songs are story songs, but this one, when I looked at it, I was like, Oh, this, this contains something that a kid needs to hear somewhere. Whereas my other songs, no one necessarily needs to hear them. They're just like breakup songs and whatever, you know, but I was like, there's a kid out there that needs hey, people to still them. need those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it became a bit of a passion project to sort of spread that message that you don't have to do anything to earn love and acceptance that goes against the definition of love, that there would be a condition attached to it. You've made me curious about going to one of those churches. I lived across from one for a year um, in Center City, Philly, right in the neighborhood. And it said, mm -hmm. all are welcome, giant uh, 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 pride flag on the outside. Um, you know, when, even when the when Philly changed the pride flag to include additional colors, like they updated theirs as well. Like it wasn't, it's not a thing for show. And I just, I like, I on Sundays, like, I feel like I could literally see it from my apartment window, right? Like, and I was just like, I always just thought like, what would it be like to go in there? You know, what would it feel like to go in there? And like, I did it. I just, it's, it's like, it's like a pure, it, it it's fear, uh, right? Like, um, because you did feel as a kid, probably queer or not, that that service wasn't necessarily for you, you know, mm -hmm. that it was maybe for your parents or it was maybe for just a community thing or it was just a community activity. But certainly as a queer person, I never felt like I had a home in a Catholic church, you know, yeah. and I never felt like people were speaking to me. Like I never felt, I felt like it was kind of an act 
being there, I guess, if that's the right way to describe it. I feel like I'm live processing emotions now, but um, you know, it's it, it, so I'm just so curious and sometimes live with some like regret that I didn't go into that one. There are other ones around me now I could, but I'm just curious as to what it would feel like because the way you described it of just sitting there sobbing, I have to imagine I would react somewhat similarly yeah. because I'm used to even now when I'll go back to church, because like I said, it's a wedding or a funeral or um, a baptism or something like the priest knows me, the priest knows my partner. Like, like he doesn't look at me the same way that he did when I was a kid, you know, like, and I, when I was a kid, I was an ultra server, you know, I think there was a moment where I was in the choir or something, but that didn't last. I don't have the pipes that you have. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm curious just like, about that of like what it would be like to like go in there and sort of like confront some of that fear head on and confront some of that I don't know that it's trauma necessarily but like confront some of that feeling of discomfort you know we started our conversation by saying like it's weird to be pretending someone and for years in a church I was pretending so to go in authentically not in my own church but in a church that sees me for me and sees me as a person might be interesting yeah it certainly is I mean I also don't blame people for any protections or barriers they want to put up around themselves as far as that topic. You know, it's a big thing. It's touchy. Not a lot of people want to go there because it's uncomfortable. And I get that. Like it's, um, yeah. And that's like totally fair and valid. I think that my biggest thing when I was younger was almost, I just, I felt so othered and alone in the fact that they wouldn't even talk about it. It was just like this rumor that being gay was bad. And then, mm. and like, if I Googled it, I would find out. Right. But like, no one would, I was every Sunday I would go in and I'd be like, okay, this is the Sunday where the sermon is going to be about being gay and how it's bad. And I'm going to get my answer once and for all, you know, <laughs> but I never, they never even talked about it because they want your money. They want your, like, they want things to go on and they don't want to upset people. Right. Um, so for me, honestly, just, I hate to bring it back to that, but it, it was as simple as just being addressed in this beautiful church. Cause they did, they still did all the things they, they stood up when you're supposed to sit up, they kneeled down when you're supposed to kneel down. They sang all the songs. It was a very traditional service, but it was just like coded in rainbows and acceptance and actual love, not conditional love. And it was, um, it was massively healing, I think, because I think that was one of my most internal sources of homophobia um, was the church. And so to be able to sort of have that be flipped on its head probably was a huge like launch pad for a lot of, you know, what I call my healing and, and my bringing forth of my authentic self, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I appreciate you kind of telling that story and expressing a little bit of that vulnerability, which we love to do on this podcast, <laughs> just really pushing people. Um, I'm, I guess I, I, a couple other questions too, um, kind of more related back to, to some of the mental health stuff. Um, I always like to ask people, um, especially like, uh, other queer people, like, how are they holding up? And like, what are some of your strategies for like coping with your anxiety the best? Because uh, most people who listen to this podcast regularly know mine. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times it is a couple drinks, like which I'm working on. Um, you know, other times it's just burying myself in work. 
which also not healthy is that I end up ignoring my friends, family and relationships. So I'm curious for you, number one in 2020, like how are you doing? But also, you know, like beyond that, like what are some of your strategies for dealing with some of that anxiety and some of those like challenges uh, within the mental health space? Wait, I'm confused. Do you want my unhealthy ones or my healthy ones? Oh, both? both. Yeah, I want both. Yeah, <laughs> but I just, I like, I don't really have a healthy one. So I like to ask people theirs and hope I get a healthy one. <laughs> I have to, I have to, I actually, so I'm very type A personality. And so uh, several years ago when I decided to go on this mindfulness journey and do all my healing, I was like, I'm going to become, I almost started to view mindfulness and healing as a bandage for being messy and not being something people could approve of. Or um, so I actually uh, just a couple of years ago had to take like a, a sidestep and be like, Oh, I actually missed a step. <laughs> you still have to feel your feelings and own your messiness and bring that to the, to the table just as much as, um, as, as all this like um, peace and inner, inner peace and, um, you know, uh, your relationship with yourself um, in a positive light. So uh, that said, I am still to this day, fairly like addicted to um, certain self-care things. I just really love learning about myself. I love uncovering all that's there. So I do a lot. I do meditation. I got journaling. I got reading. I've got um, my top thing still to this day is just an hour long walk minimum. Um people should really never underestimate the power of a long walk. Um, I, you know, physical activity. Um, I do some Buddhist chanting practices. I've got yeah. a lot that I just, I, I listen to podcasts. Um, I have unhealthy things too. Um, do you go again, through phases? I go through phases. I'm like, where it's like, I'm buried in podcasts. And then there's other times I'm like, I'm going to walk every day this week. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I find they have to be careful with podcasts from podcaster to podcast host to podcast host. Yeah. I think you have to be careful because sometimes I'll listen to a podcast and I'll feel really inspired, but other times I'll listen to a podcast and I'll be like, well, they say that their life is perfect and mine isn't. And I have to like catch up to them and I'm not doing enough and blah, 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 blah. So it's like very have... similar to the social media scrolling. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, so you really have to monitor what's working for you. I think the, big thing is that there's no right or wrong um well there's certain things that are like unhealthy sure but um I think that there's it really is we're all just making our way through this thing called life you know and you've gotta I think the important thing to remember is that it is a practice whatever you are doing for yourself you're not just gonna suddenly wake up one day and be positive have options for contentment and be an authentic human being. Those are just not things that happen overnight. So you've got to figure out how you want to explore that for yourself. Um, I think the benefits of working with like a life coach are that we get to go over those together. We get to like assess out what works for you. And I get to help you provide some outside perspective on all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are, what are, like, has the life coaching, like, world been better because of 2020 that you can kind of meet with more people virtually like has has it been like fun have you I don't know I'm just curious what some of your like are your clients all over the place or are they, like... my clients are all over the place yeah. um it's it's yeah I mean I've been fortunate that this year hasn't affected my employment scenarios too much um but 
what I've actually done this year is I've launched a bunch of like programming stuff, which has been really fun for me because I'm, I'm tapping into like this entrepreneurial creative spirit that I have that, um, that was kind of not, not really getting as much, uh, use in the one-on-one coachings, which I'm still doing, but I have all these like group coaching efforts that I'm launching and I have the podcast and I have the, um, I have this thing called the Gay Men's Mindfulness Collective on Facebook, which is like this community that's growing of like-minded men who are interested in actually talking about, you know, the healing elements to being gay and how um, how we can really show up for ourselves rather than hide ourselves. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited about those because it's, I'm still, what it's awesome because I get to do one-on-one coaching still, but I'm also like, doing coaching and like a wider thing because one of my missions is to bring the conversation of mindfulness to the queer community because I do think it is massively needed as I said early on in this yeah we do not just walk out of the closet and we are suddenly proud there is a healing step that people are skipping um often which is totally understandable because we have spent so much so many years in pain right so we want to be done with the pain right but sometimes the pain can be like um, something that should be dealt with and can lead us to where we need to be and all that, all that jazz. Yeah. I think that's, um, a pretty important message. Um, I feel like there's, it's because I'm, I am somebody and maybe it's, it's in our like fellow podcaster blood, um, you know, where just talking out loud helps me a lot to process. I don't know that, um, the rest of our community maybe, always takes advantage of that I think they probably get a little bit of like the sweaty palms you know <laughs> like and so I'm grateful that you do do what you do um because I I feel we need that as a community to have space for those conversations outside of whether it be the party environment whether it be the political environment whether it just be kind of how so many of us are so focused on our careers that we just sort of blow past a lot of other things. Like there's so many things as queer people to kind of jump into and like involve yourself in. But if you don't slow down, if you don't step back, I think you can kind of, I mean, I've done it. Like there's been parts in my life where I've done it. You sort of like wake up one day and you're like, I'm a fucking mess. Like you're, you're like, I, like, who was I with last night? And like, why did I, why is this man with me? And, you know, like, I, like, it's, it's, and and I don't, it's not to, you know, sex shame whatsoever. I'm very sex positive. Um, Please go listen to our sex education episode, because I learned so much. (laughs) Um, But uh, like, I, like, if we don't process some of those really difficult feelings, I feel like we'll, there will be more of us that fall into things like substance abuse or things like self-harm or things that, you know, we don't really think about if we just continue to push, like, I don't talk about my family. I don't talk about this. I don't talk about that. And it's like, that's, that's, you don't, not that you need to talk about it every day at every moment, but spending some of that time for mindfulness is, seems really important. I'm really grateful you do the work that you do. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people in our generation, yours and my generation talk to the, the gay men from the generation above us um, as often as maybe we should, because also yeah. we need to have respect for them and the, the, you know, the road they pay for us. Yeah. But um, 
a lot of people, you know, they say that they don't really tap into this genuine authenticity until their late thirties or, or until, um, you, you know, the certain aspects of the scene sort of kept them from finding themselves and healing with themselves. Right. Um, I think that we're in this like massive movement, you know, there's a pandemic that's keeping everyone inside and forcing them to be with themselves. There is a generation below us that is asking questions that we've never asked before and deconstructing things in such a cool way. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that I had this weird experience when I was younger where all of this was like sort of thrust upon me and I denied it. And then I had this tumultuous time when I first came out of the closet and I feel almost called to sort of be one of the people that's like, guys, we can, we can push the bookmark back on when we're actually accepting ourselves and showing up the way we want to and being happy. We don't need to wait until we are middle-aged. We can start living that way now. Um, and it's really mm. just a matter of who wants to do that work because it is work. Yeah, I, I love the way you described it. And while you were talking too, I just thought like, we're also this interesting kind of cohort within the, the queer community. You sort of have the queer people who are older than us that you know lived through the AIDS crisis. And then you have the people younger than us, like you said, that are deconstructing things like gender. And like, to them, they're looking at us. They're like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Like, you know, that's like, like, we're like, we're like, we don't know. Like, we're like, like we saw We're just these. going to the club. We're, yeah, I know. <laughs> we're just going to the club. We're just drinking. Like, like it's like, it's like the, like, like you, cause you see some of these, like our older, our, our, our leaders in the, in the queer community that like, went through absolute hell and we're like, well, we're just going to ignore that and celebrate. And then you have these younger people that are like learning about this history in a different way than we are accepting themselves in a different way than we are. And, and not that that's everybody's experience, but it is so great to see such a public display of that experience. And it just like, it made me think about it's, it's like boomers laugh at us and Gen Z laughs at us, like, and Gen X and uh, millennials were sort of in this middle ground here, but it's like, we are kind of this weird cohort of like, gay marriage was legalized like when all of us were like dating ish or trying to figure out what that meant <laughs> it's, it's so it's so bizarre that we kind of have a little bit of dabble into both of these worlds and can't mm. quite figure out where we where we need to be or where we need to fit or how to heal in this moment yeah i recently launched a thing called the gay men self-help book club and it is yeah um, it basically you know everyone's so into self-help these days right people love book clubs and um, what I decided to do is I thought this was a great way to start conversation amongst gay men about these, these things that we need to be talking about because, um, especially because I think that self-help books leave the queer community out sometimes. So basically what we get to do is take mainstream self-help books and read them through a queer lens amongst peers and talk about how, how they're resonating with us, what's going on in our lives. And it's a very cool opportunity to have the conversations that you're maybe not having in the clubs and um, <laughs> all <Yeah. laughs> that, all that jazz. And, you know, the conversations that we have are so rich and so like magical. Part of me is surprised. And then part of me is not, you know, cause we're not talking this way to each other. Um, so I, I, 
you know, I created this space and I was like, oh, I wonder if anyone will show up. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it won't be that big of a deal. But I think we're really underestimating how much of a void there is for that kind of conversation amongst, I don't want to generalize, but amongst gay guys in, yeah, yeah, for the most part, you know? Yeah, I agree. Well, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, I want to go, to, I, I really struggle to read and I like, I not like just from an attention process, like I, I'm lucky enough where I'm, uh, I had a good education, like Catholic school education. They're really good about, you know, teaching you the English language and, and learning how to read it because you read the Bible so young. Um, but I'm I, like, I want to do one of the, like one of the book club sessions, but where can people find you to connect with you and learn more about you? <laughs> uh, I'm on Instagram at Brian Faldudo, or you can follow the gay life coach, which is just a primarily coaching account. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm elsewhere too, but those are the easiest places to get me. Um, and just the only thing I kind of want to say to close is that it all comes back to your relationship to yourself. I think we've talked about a lot of external like factors throughout this conversation and my story and your story, and maybe just like overarching themes of people's stories. But um, the, all, the thing I always stress is that the work is a completely internal job. Loving yourself is a job that is like completely inside of you. And, um, and only you know what, what that will look like in the long run. That's cool. Well, thank you. Thanks for being part of the Let's Unpack That fam. We would love to have you back and talk about something else. So appreciate you joining. Yeah. I so appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yeah. Of course. Well, um, obviously, uh, when this episode goes live, we'll make sure that um, we tag Brian so that you guys can all follow him, learn, um, definitely recommend uh, subscribing to his podcast as well. Um, I think it'll give you a really interesting lens in that too. So I know I have one episode in my queue. So uh, which, with Mrs. Oh Kasha God. Davis, who yeah. I love, I love, love, love. She's one that has absolutely just went through a journey of self-acceptance. So yeah, uh, I'm so excited to listen to it. Great. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to add something, but I was, I feel like you're wrapping up. We're good. No, no, it's all good. Go ahead. Add it. Andrew, our uh, editor will, will cut it in. So no, I was just going to, this is that episode. I did the interview and I was like, oh, this is great. And then I like, it didn't air until like two months later and I was listening back to it and I was like, oh my God, I so needed this. And then I felt so weird saying that I needed my own podcast, but <laughs> She really is. She's brilliant and she's wonderful. And her advice in there is fantastic. Yeah. My, uh, my partner got me a cameo from her when I was like feeling uh, particularly <laughs> down about all the social media stuff. And the whole thing that the message that she left me was like, was like, the work that you're doing is so important. I know that you're overwhelmed. Keep And I was just like, Oh my God. It was like, just like the, the, the genuine care that you get from like somebody that's like, yeah, he paid, you know, what 50 bucks for, for her to give me that message. But it was like three minutes of a heartfelt yeah. message. I felt like she got to know me. So I'm so glad that you got her on your podcast. I'll have to get her on, on uh, mine too. Oh, wow. I got to really up my cameos. Yeah. Is all, <laughs> is all I got from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to get on it. So <laughs> I was like, I will answer your questions about politics. So I'm usually just like, happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's breaking up with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Brian. Appreciate you joining the pod. Thank you. Yeah.